Hi, welcome to the Modern OT Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about defining occupational therapy, insights from OTs in the profession, and highlighting how students advocate occupational therapy while in school. I am Sirianni. And I am Laura. And our goal in this podcast is to show the modern definition of OT. So let's dive into today's episode. So, Andrew, I stalked you a little bit to see what you're all about. I see (laughs) you do pelvic health and mental health is what your focus is, right? Mm -hmm. What's your story behind that? How did you get into that? I mean, I'm still a student physical therapist, so I'm not necessarily treating or I'm not in a clinic or doing any of that stuff. I'm not actually practicing. So kind of for me, I've always been pretty interested in, in psychology anyway. find people and humans are absolutely fascinating they are the craziest creatures i feel like on the planet earth they just do weird things all the time so i've always been super interested as to like why people do things kind of my background is in exercise science so i did a kinesiology degree in undergrad and then i went and got my master's in kinesiology again but i had a behavioral emphasis and then i actually had a minor in my undergrad in psychology too. So I've kind of always been super interested in like, how do we actually change behavior? How do we actually affect people for the better? How do we get them to believe in what they're doing or what we hope is good for them? And how do we kind of affect their lives in a positive way? That's always been kind of a thing that I've liked anyway, as I've gotten older. I mean, I'm 28, I'll be 29 this year. So I'm a little non-traditional as a first year PT student. So as I kind of got older, uh, I have friends that are in the military. So I have a lot of friends that are have a lot of like significant mental, a lot of trauma that they've experienced being in the military. I have a few friends that are still in right now, actually. One of them that I just saw over Christmas this last year that you can really tell it's taken a toll on him, like mentally and just like socially and everything. So kind of in my undergrad that's where I got more interested in doing that kind of stuff and working with military population and then as I've been going through all that stuff going through PT school first semester I had a faculty member she's super into pelvic health so it was her first year teaching she's a alumni of the program into pelvic health for women and it was kind of one of those things that I have a strength and conditioning background in kinesiology and we never talk about that whatsoever ever in exercise science that never gets touched on so if you're looking at like pelvic floor stuff I've literally never heard a kinesiology faculty member talk about the pelvic floor and the importance of it in exercise and life at all so she went my faculty member now kind of went off on that and we learned a bunch of stuff about it and I was instantly like I don't know anything about this this is crazy how like big of an effect it actually has on the human body, especially like I like to be in sports performance and stuff like that. So I like dove right into it and then kind of like trickling in with that, with my military passion for that and the mental health side of things, just like it fit like so perfectly into everything that I want to do. So kind of my passion is to end up being either at a VA or some military PT in some capacity kind of the end goal. My buddy that I was talking about at Christmas is actually an army ranger. So kind of working with that high level special forces population, because they are essentially the elite athletes of the military. It's kind of a short, long version of all all that. 
So if that makes sense. That's really yeah. cool though. I didn't realize you were in the military too. I'm not in the military. So I, I never was in the military. I just have friends that are. Oh, you said friends. Are, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just have friends that are in it. So just r- super close friends that I mean, I went to elementary school with, so I grew up with them and then kind of seeing that change and kind of the not so negative impact that the military's had on them, but very traumatic. And there's, I mean, you've probably heard of it, you know, 22 kill or there's, you know, veterans every day is the average There's 22 veteran suicides a day. Like there's just so many things that go in with the mental health part of the military. And then a lot of them are men. So a lot of men, I mean, that's male public health. There's a ton of things that are, they're looking at right now. And like a few studies that I've looked at of correlations between public health and the effect it has on mental health, whether that be socially or psychologically, that it just kind of ended up being perfect for what I wanted to do. No, I feel like that all definitely like fits hand in hand, like everything you talked about with pelvic health and mental health, it all goes together. So that's such a great thing, you know, that you really like figured out that that's like what you wanted, you know, and like really just tried to like advocate for that field since there was like nothing really about it and it was very taboo is what it seems like and seems like in general you know and even sorry you want to you want to go into something like that too with like pelvic health I believe right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thing but you know on the women's side it's it, like she Laura said it it's so taboo it's so taboo even right now with friends you know even you know your, your family it's not something you want to talk about with your family but it's still important to know know your body and know how it affects other people too I think the biggest key is understanding you know, empathy, right? Like that's, that's what we talk about in OT and it, that empathy part, like they're the feelings of men. They, do, they don't want to talk about it. I grew up in a household where my, da- my dad's not like that. He's not, doesn't talk about his feelings, but then like my brother-in-law is different. He does talk about his feelings, you know? So it's just interesting. It just depends on who you are as a person too. Yeah. I mean, I find that it's so weird. Like I said, humans are crazy, weird, socially awkward creatures all the time, but I think, I mean, my dad's very similar that way. We never talked about anything like that. And maybe it was, I don't know if it was like me that didn't talk about it or it was him that didn't talk about it. But I think as I've gotten older, him and I, like we can have those conversations so much more clearly now. But yeah, there's tons of men that are that way. And I've had, shoot, from my Instagram alone. And I have close friends that I would never, ever in my entire life expect to talk about those types of things for men's public health. But even just yesterday, actually, I had one of my buddies see the post I just posted yesterday on Instagram about overactive pelvic floor stuff and how it affects psychology and sexual health. And he messaged me and he was like, hey man, like, can I call you later? Like, I just have some questions on like how this actually works. And so he ended up, you know, kind of chatting and kind of giving me his experiences of like his relationship right now. You know, he has, he feels like he has low libido, like he hasn't been able to perform. He had, he's had, you know, erectile dysfunction. And then he kind of tells me like, oh, I've had some GI symptoms. So, you know, that kind of leads into, well, if you have GI symptoms and you're always trying to hold your, you know, your bladder or you're always trying to like hold your pressure because you have to go to the bathroom all the time, your pelvic floor gets overactive which then leads to whatever else, you know, it's just a crazy, like, there's so much about the field that we don't know. And there's just a lot of people that I think could potentially be suffering from some suffering from something that they don't even know yet. Now, Andrew, something we don't, we don't do is we don't diagnose, but 
Have you ever asked like these people who do reach out to you, like what kind of medications they're taking? Maybe that could play a role into that. Yeah. So actually the guy that I'm talking to, he was in my master's degree with me and yeah, he's very like by the book, exercises quite a bit. He lifts weights. I'm not diagnosing him by any means, but personally, I, I mean, from what he's talking about, I think it's more of a psychosocial, it's a stress. It's a, he doesn't have the ability to decompress. You know, he's had blood work done. So it's not necessarily a physiological thing. It's more of a psychosocial thing that is affecting him. So in my opinion, anyway, so. Yeah, that's really cool, though, that you're like really involved in that. And you said that, did you have any clinical experience with it with it yet? Or are you, you're going into your first clinical experience with it now? So my first clinical experience is not going to be pelvic health. It's just an outpatient orthopedic hospital. Yeah, I have no clinical experience with it. So I guess I'm a little different in that I do have grad school experience prior to coming into PT school. So I was at Boise State, and so I did a master's in kinesiology, like I said. But I think the biggest thing is, like, I know how to research. You know, like, going through the first year of PT school, like, I understand the concepts that a lot of these research papers are talking about and like anatomically, like I understand it. I have, you know, a master's degree in kines. So I, I went through physiology courses in grad school already prior to this. So mm-hmm. I have a pretty good understanding of how the body works. So a lot of it has just been honestly self-study and then just connecting with different groups. So whether that be on Facebook or at like CSM, so it, it's our version of the National Conference for Physical Therapy, so combined sections meeting. So I went to a few super great presentations at that, and then it just kind of sparked it even more in February that I was like, this is so cool. This is just like such an underserved population. And even women's public health is underserved, but men's even more so because nobody wants, like it's taboo for women, but it's an absolute like no-go for a lot of men. So it's, yeah, just a totally underserved population overall. So, yeah. Did you have experience when you were first, like, observing for public health? Had absolutely no idea this was a niche of PT until about, I don't know, eight weeks into the first semester of PT school. So we started in August, so probably till like, October of... (laughs) 2019. So it's just one of those things that, I mean, I've always been kind of like, I have a certified strength and conditioning specialist, like CERT through NSCA, and I have a exercise physiologist certification through ACSM. I don't even know what all that mean, honestly, but. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) uh, the NSCA is basically just strength and conditioning coach. It allows me to go like work with any sports team, right? So like athletic population, basically. The ACSM one essentially allows me to work with mostly healthy, mostly healthy populations and then some that are not healthy but are cleared for exercise. So I can't work with clinical populations with that certification. And then exercise medicine is, if you look it up, it's ACSM's kind of initiative to get physicians, MDs, DOs to refer out from like medication. So if somebody has like high blood pressure, so instead of giving them some sort of like beta blocker or something like that, then they would give them a script that would say like, hey, here's a script for exercise. Here is Andrew's email, whatever business card. And the physician would send them to me 
And then I would evaluate them, have them do like a stress test, program exercises for them, put them through an evaluation, and then give them an exercise program to do. So it's just like a exercise medicine is the whole idea. So instead of getting, getting people off of pharmaceutical type stuff instead. Yeah, so I didn't have any clinical experience with pelvic health at all. So it's just kind of something that I was like, oh, this is like, there's something here. It's important. Obviously, there's factors to this that I haven't necessarily had these issues before myself, but it's one of those things that I know in like thinking about some of the things that like some of my friends, like, you know, guy talk, we talk about whatever certain things. And it's like one of the things that kind of like think about it's like, oh, like that could have potentially been so-and-so's issue at that point in life. So, and then kind of, you know, it just spiraled from there. And I was like, I just wanted to learn more and more and more. So is that what sparked you to, to do your podcast? Once you started like learning about all that stuff and then you started your podcast to kind of just like get all the information out there about like, you know, the field. <laughs> yes and no. So the podcast obviously is part of digital income school. And so in my master's degree, I was one of the officers for the health and human performance club at Boise State. And we would actually have people come in different professionals, clinicians come in and speak to the undergrad students. So we had like PTs, we had like bodybuilding coaches, we had dietitians, we had OTs, we had chiropractors, you know, basically every gambit of like, what can a kinesiology major go to grad school for? Or what can, you know, health sciences major go to grad school for or whatever, and come in and like, I had kind of what you're doing now is like a a pre-made like list of questions that I would send them and be like, Hey, these are the topics that we're going to cover. And like, I would basically moderate this entire, like in-person, like live conversation of, okay, tell me about yourself, talk about yourself. And then I would like go through and hit like highlight topics of what I felt like was important for undergrad students to know that I kind of knew that they didn't know about. So kind of the, the myths and, you know, kind of myth busting of those types of ideas of, of the different professions. So because I was in grad school and I had experience with a lot of those people already, I knew, I knew there was a lot of students that didn't have any idea what some of these professionals do or they had misconceptions about it. So yeah, kind of starting the podcast was through that. I've always kind of thought about having a podcast anyway. Yeah. And just like kind of misinformation for a lot of things for men in general, whether that be like Socially, I mean, there's, you know, a huge push, like the Me Too movement, you know, like all these things of like, what is the best way for like a male to actually behave in society today? Or like, how do you navigate certain things? And like, what does being a man actually entail? Whether that be in a relationship, whether that be professionally, whether that be whatever, like, how do you actually, like, what does it mean to actually be a man in today's world? So there's a lot of that that goes into it too. But yeah, definitely like the mental health and pelvic health and strength and conditioning and everything else too. I love that. That's powerful. It's exciting. Now, <laughs> now Andrew, well, go backtrack for a minute. When you, do you think getting your master's prepared you for DPT school? Yes. So I actually was going to apply to PT school right out of my undergrad degree, but I decided that I was not ready necessarily that it was a huge jump and when I think about it I'm like uh you know I probably could have done it 
but I think at that point in time in life, like I, I just had like other things that I was doing like outside of school that I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to go to PT school yet. Like I have other things that I like really want to like learn about. And that was kind of where I, I went into my master's degree at Boise State. I stayed there and then I actually ended up getting a, getting a graduate assistantship with the motor learning and statistics faculty members. So the, actually the motor learning faculty was kind of the whole reason, oh, part of the reason, part of the whole reason that I stayed because like I took that in my like final semester of my undergrad and she just like blew my mind with motor learning and kind of like everything we do in that and how like the human body actually learns how to move and cueing and coaching and psychology and how it all like flows with like how do we get people to do certain things and how do we get people to learn certain things the most appropriate way so that and I wanted to do go over like some more like psychology stuff before I went to PT school because I felt like not that the field is just wacky at times but it is kind of wacky people don't really know how to talk to each other and people just don't really know how to affect human behavior the best way possible so that's why I kind of stayed super important motor learning and especially in the OT field exactly everything we learn about is just so absolutely fascinating to me and that's it just kind of all fits together I guess you also touched up to that you were able to read like peer reviews and case studies can you compare like the students in your class are they able to do the same thing or do you think you're a little more ahead in that aspect like does PT school teach you how to break those down or no yes it does and I I tell a lot of people that are in my class, so we just actually had our first research course uh, this semester, and I basically had to help teach people everything without getting paid to do it. I think having like a master's degree in kinesiology is like much more research heavy than PT school. A lot of PT students, they do not want to do research. They are very hands-on. They like, I mean, you could probably ask like, 100 PT students and 90 of them or more will tell you I will never do research ever again. So it's just one of the things that like my kinesiology program it was there was no clinicals to it. I didn't have to do a thesis. I did a project track which I still had to do research for, but we had graduate level statistics like pretty much right out of the gate. Being a GA helped me cuz I was doing research for the faculty members for both statistics and motor learning. So, I mean, I already had a leg up on most of my master's level students because I was grading statistics papers and then for the undergrad students. And then I was doing research that wasn't just my own coursework too. So yeah, PT school, definitely a leg up. I think it was the best decision I could have possibly had because I can go in, like if I have an interest in something or like I don't understand something, I can actually go read the original research paper and say, cool, like, I know what this is talking about, and I understand, does this really work, or does it work some of the time, or is there, like, not enough evidence to actually say, yeah, totally, I believe in this, so, yeah, I think it's, by and large, the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> I'm trying to do the same thing, because, like, you know, we are an evidence-based practice. And I think that, you know, especially one of my professors in my pediatrics class was very, you know, 
yeah, le just learn how to read through them. It's really important because it's how you can teach others. And mm -hmm. I feel like in my class, we lack that ability as well. And you I do have to like, kind of love it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's kind of one of the things like if you love the profession and you actually like love helping people and you want to be the best possible clinician that you possibly can, you have to understand how to do that. You have to understand how to read research. Maybe you don't have to know how to write it. You don't have to necessarily want to write it, but you have to understand how they got there. Why did they do it a certain way? And you know, like what were the limitations to this? Was it money that they didn't have for the study or why didn't they do a randomized control trial? You know, like why did they just do a prospective study? What was the reasoning behind it? I mean, they all have value. It's just a matter of, obviously we know there's levels to research and some hold more, you know, credible, I guess, evidence than others. Yeah, definitely. I think that's going to make you a really, really great physical therapist that's going to like stand out from most since you said that most don't like doing research, which I was honestly super surprised about because like I thought you had to do more research in PT school because it's a doctor, you know what I mean? Compared to like OT, it's not as clinical based and there's not a lot of like clinical studies that you mm -hmm. do with it in comparison. So that's that's really interesting that you said that. Yeah. Just because you have to do something in school doesn't mean that you have to do it later. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Or, or want to do it, you know, yeah. I mean, just because you did stuff in undergrad doesn't mean that you're actually going to use it again. It's kind of like chemistry, right? Like, eh, you know, you maybe use bits and pieces, but yeah, it's like, eh, I'm not going to be a chemist later. Except no, no. when you're baking cookies or something and you leave something out. So that's about it. <laughs> so true. That's so true. So relatable. Yeah. <laughs> and what made you create your business that you're doing right now as a PT student, was that because of, you know, Will and Alex through digital income school or did you, did you already kind of have an idea because you were a strength and conditioning coach? Yes. And yes. And yes, I guess. So really it was more of, I've been, I'd been thinking about it for, I don't know, years. So I, I finished my master's degree last spring, 2019. And then I actually got my certifications in 2016 in my undergrad. So I thought about it for a long time. I just didn't always have the actual time to do it. So I worked as a GA. So I had 20 hours a week. I was teaching courses and I was in my master's degree and I worked at a restaurant every, you know, like four days a week, every weekend. So I was just like, I just didn't really have like the time or like really desire to like sit down and train people too. Cause I was, teaching students at the same time. So I was basically training students to train other people. So yes, COVID honestly was probably the like single factor that gave me enough time to actually sit down and do everything because like, I'm pretty like self-driven, like motivated person. I don't really need a lot of people to like tell me that I'll give, give you this, give you this, whatever. It's like, no, like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to go do it. If I like set my mind to it, I'm just going to go do that. There's no like if, ands, buts about it. So with COVID, it kind of freed up a lot of time, which maybe you guys have the same thing. I don't know. Definitely. Um, but, but PT school is kind of like a, when you go to class, there's a lot of wasted time. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's like fluff. And I mean, that's kind of bad to say, I think a little bit, but it's like, there's a lot of things that could be streamlined that you'll get the same exact thing out of it. And just having the ability to like, watch the videos. I mean, they recorded lectures so I could watch the videos at two times the speed 
get the same information half the time, do all my stuff, and then go build a website. So I don't know. It's it's kind of like a combination of all the things. So it's you know Will and Alex helping with that. I was already actually starting to make my own website before I, I even started digital income school. So I was already working on it and then started that. Yeah, I was already kind of crushing through that stuff for about, I don't know, a month prior to even starting that. All of the above. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Now, since we are students, we also like want to talk about to like the financial side. So like the loans, should PT students work during school, things like that? Like, what can you give, like, the advice to, you know, students coming in? I mean, I guess it's hard because, like, like I said, I'm totally, like, non-traditional in this aspect, mm -hmm. in this regard. Yes, I think they should if they're capable of doing it. I think because I worked so much in my master's degree, like, it prepared me for PT school and the workload, and then also producing other things on the side of that but it just kind of depends on like your values and like what you want to do I just had this conversation with somebody else I don't remember who I was talking to it was another student or something the other day so we were talking about how some of the students in our cohort you know like to drink on the weekends or you know Thursday Friday Saturday night and they'll you know go drink or whatever and kind of talking about it is like I mean, I guess I'm a little older, whatever, quote unquote. So I don't like, I try not to do that as much. Also, I just don't really care to do that. I'd rather go work out or do something else. So it just kind of depends on what you're, what you value at the time. So I know a lot of the students in my class, they rather just relax. They rather watch Netflix. They rather do whatever versus putting in time to actually create something like that will benefit them down the road. I mean, if I'm doing digital marketing and stuff and I'm training clients and, you know, that takes three or four nights out of the week and I'm spending 15, 20 hours a week doing that, but I come out with 20,000 less dollars at the end of school. I mean, is that worth it? I don't, I, to me it is. I think I'd do a lot of things for $20,000. So <laughs> I don't know. Most students can probably swing it. I know there's a lot of students that they're not leveraging their skills appropriately. I have the ability to train clients and I can take on people and, you know, I can charge whatever, say it's 50, a hundred dollars a month for a training program, or I can sign a client and build a website for 500 or a thousand bucks, or, you know, like there's so many things to make money as a student. That's not like, Oh, just go work at gap or target or something. You know, like you have an undergrad degree, you have value. It just depends on what you want to leverage that value for. So, I mean, there's students in my program that are working at kind of like a clothing store, like Old Navy. And then, you know, we have other ones that they're on mom and dad's dime. So it doesn't matter. And then there's everything under the sun to like not have all of the debt later on. So like even just today I signed a person for just their Instagram $500 a month to just manage their Instagram content literally just their Instagram That's which awesome. is yeah which is like great. super great because that pays for my rent every month like if I don't have to like all I have to do is post like three times a week for the business and get them leads 
that's super simple. I already do that for myself. So, and it doesn't take that long to do it throughout the week. So you figure you're sitting there at like a couple hours a week to make content and like posts, message people. I don't know. That's pretty solid chunk of change for not really doing a ton of time consuming work. I don't know. We live in a day and age where this type of stuff is just, it's literally right at your fingertips. You're already on zoom. So if you're in class and you're, we know you're already on your phone cause you have it right there and you know, you, maybe you turn your video off or something and all you do is get on there, you know, double tap a few times at the end of the week, you know, end of the month, you get 500 bucks. Sweet. Let's do it. Just kind of so depends. true. Yeah. I mean, students need to go back and listen to that part. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. I mean, I'll pay for whatever. I mean, whatever that is, if you're looking at 500 bucks a month for a year, that's pretty solid. Yeah. Easy money. Such a little amount of work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you figure that's just one, that's just one client. And then if you have, say you get another one that, you know, digital income school, you know, you build a website or something, you charge a thousand dollars and you're like, cool. You know, there's all of your rent plus your food for whatever, three months. I mean, a website, you already know. I mean, you already went through how to do it and make it perfect. So there's just so many options for things, you know, and I'm training a couple other people on the side. So, you know, charging a hundred, hundred bucks a month, 125 bucks a month. And that's, you know, everything's already built out. I did that during COVID too, like prior to like starting digital income school. I literally just cranked out like all these programs and it's all personalized to these people. It's just a matter of like, I had to do a lot of the front end work when I actually had time. So I literally spent my entire spring break. Like, like my girlfriend can attest to this cause I was at her house like every day, like working on building a training like program and website eight hours a day for the entire spring break. So it's just kind of one of those things like, I don't know. I, I like try to put in the work when I have time. So you have opportunity, you have the know-how for a lot of people. You just have to literally just go do it. Love it. Love yeah. it. You seem very well-rounded and just like everything. So that's awesome. That's really awesome. I, I try. <laughs> like I said, it's one of the things that like, I don't know, like as I've grown up is like one of the things is like I have tons of friends that we've held each other accountable as just males in general, you know, just as humans. It's just kind of, you know, managing life through that and saying like, okay, well, what's more important to me? Like, where do I want to be? Like, who do I want to be at the end of life or, you know, later on in the next 20 years? Like what kind of person, where do I see myself? And then if those values are here, you have to align your actions with those. So that's what I try to do always trying to learn something, just be better at stuff and just be a better person in general. But yeah. I think everyone too goes through that. Everyone, like, I mean, you can't even in like going through psychology, it's everyone goes through a little something. It's just yeah. a matter of when you go yeah. through it. You might not go at it, through it at the normal age, but you'll go through right. it at some time. Right, exactly. So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, like I get it. We have students in our program that are, that are in that stage right now. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, we don't want to do that. Like, it's not important. And I get it. I've been there. So I've done the whole thing. Learn people learn. Yeah. <laughs> Just any tips that you have for anyone starting school? Network as much as you can. 
that is the key to succeeding. There are more people out there that know more things than you will ever know. So getting those people on your team and interacting with them is of the highest and utmost importance, I think. So, because those types of people will only push you farther and higher. So. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it so much. Hey everyone, if you liked today's episode, please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on our weekly chats. You can also find us on Instagram at themodernot underscore podcast. There will be new episodes released every Friday, so feel free to reach out to us. We would love to connect with you.